still got the party horn. Is he still got the party horn? Oh, come on, it's like my trademark. Um, hello, and welcome to another episode of uh, Political Yeti's Politics Podcast. See, I'm getting slick. I can remember what my own podcast is called now. Um, I'm James Miller, and uh, as promised, I think I promised last week, I'm going to mix up the format a bit, which is happening this week. Instead of one MP and uh, two journalists or commentator types it's me and two MPs this week and what a pair of MPs it is uh, like the Brangelina of Westminster it's the 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 Macfords I don't know no no, it doesn't work Um, they are uh, Mari Black MP for Paisley and Renfrewshire South and all round star of Scottish politics hello hiya and it's Ian Blackford, MP for Ross, Sky and Loch Harbour, and the SNP's pension spokesman. And more of an enduring team than some others in the media lobby world. And you have just dropped, dropped <laughs> that you met Angelina of Brangelina. Well, indeed. I mean, this was something which I'll, I'll never forget, to be honest. It was in New York. Yeah. Um, and I was coming back down the street to my hotel. I was over there in business with a colleague of mine. And we came amongst a phalanx of photographers standing in the middle of the street and we thought, what's going on here? So we decided to hang around and out popped Angelina Jolie. Um, she is, in real life, she is yeah. even more stunning than you could possibly imagine from an on-screen appearance. Now hang on, you say when you met, you didn't actually meet her, you just well, saw her in I, the street. I saw her in the street, I said hello to her. And it's a politician over-promising here, or possibly building no, up your no, party. No, 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 not at all. See, this was, this see was the other half of that, when uh, World War Z was getting filmed in George Square, of course, yeah. me being very sad, I think I was about 15, went along in a Brad Pitt's camper van was in the city chambers, a bit that the cars go through, and I stood about for ages, and he came out, and I waved, and I like to think he was waving back at me and more than thousands of others. It's amazing. Aye, I saw him. He did. He said, there's Mary. This is like the most uh-huh. topical <laughs> podcast ever. I've got, both got Brangelina. Sorry, I've never met either of them. Um, I have met, you you know, should, I met Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, you should hang up. You should hang I've met Leonardo DiCaprio. Well, yeah. And he's also beautiful in real life. Yeah, he's amazingly good looking. I don't know how much I love that man. Oh, he's, he is like, he's got something around him. He's like got an aura. I'd like to think Brad Pitt had the same, but I've never Sheer actually met talent. him. Yeah, but he's also, yeah, exactly. He's got that sort of proper old fashioned Hollywood style. Now, you, now you've gone down this road, you'll take Mary onto Bono. But we actually do, we do have, we do have, a phrase. Hang on. Hang on. We, do, we, we do have a shared icon. Yes. Alex Hammond. Well, Alex as well. But that, that legend that is called Chick Charlie. Oh, superb. Who yes. played for Partick Thistle, Aye. but also played for the Mighty Hibernian. Yep. Like oh yeah, 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 of course, of course. Um, yes, he is a proper, proper legend, isn't he? Um, I, I'm always, do you understand his, as in Ian's, Mari, do you understand Ian's background? A number uh, of times he says, I was, what did he do before no, he became I'm an MP? He always drops these stories of, yeah, when <laughs> I was in New York. All you have to do is spend some company, like some time in his company, and you realise how this stuff happens. You know, I do wonder. The problem is that, hold on, I've got a number. I'll phone somebody. <laughs> I, I do wonder if he's one of the, the lizard people or something like this. He seems to have been everywhere at every point. Um, you're a time traveller, is that it? Is that that's, like what that? it yeah. that's what it was. Um, you are here, the <laughs> pair been, of you. I've been around a long time. That's the story. Like, <laughs> enough. The strange thing about uh, this podcast is that you'd hope that talking about Brangelita would get us lots of listeners, but I know the one thing that will get us lots of listeners is the thing that you're here to talk about, which is WASPy, Indeed. the Women's State Pension Age. 
Um, Inequality. You were launching a report this morning. Uh, you are the top pensions team. Fair to say, Ian, that you've got Mari to try and rub some of her stardust onto the pensions campaign. And is that, that she's never really rubbed her stardust on the pensions campaign. But I think, you know, the point about this is that when we both rocked up here to, to make it I'm not in, liking in this tune, adult trying to tune, the kids in, in tune with uh, <laughs> the debate before. no when, when we came here and we were asked to become the pensions team for, for the SNP and we said that look, we wanted to take this seriously this is an issue for people that are going to be retiring soon but it's not just an issue for older people if I can put it that way it's an issue for everybody it's an issue for people that are Mary's age um, and yes we've tried to bring perhaps some some excitement to the topic, but this is a topic that everybody should be interested in. And of course, the issue we're specifically looking at today, the WASPI campaign that you're talking about, is a classic story of inequality for women. Why women have been prejudiced against, why they've not been given what is rightfully theirs, because at the end of the day, when you pay national insurance, it's done on expectation that you're going to get a pension. And the government have changed the rules, they have deferred that pension, people are having to wait longer. But it fits into a broader narrative if I may say so, and that is that women have been disadvantaged, whether it's been through the state pension or whether it's through private pensions. And it's absolutely wrong that, in this case, 2.6 million women that have worked hard in demanding jobs mm. are being disadvantaged and are having to be told that they have to wait longer for the pension. And, you know, th there is one point which is really important here, is that we have... Both Mary and myself have argued that men and women ultimately should retire at the same age. We are in favour yeah. of equality of pension age, mm -hmm. but it's how you get there, and that's the big issue. And the example that we often give is that a woman born in February 1953 will have retired just short of her 63rd birthday. Mm. A woman born in February 1954 will be 65 and a half, two and a half years older than mm -hmm. a woman born a year earlier. That can't possibly be right. There's an inherent unfairness in that. And this is what the issue is about. It's about saying to the government, you need to go back, you need to readdress this, you need to make sure that that process of equalisation takes place over a longer period, that women are given effective notice. And what we're arguing today is a very, very simple conclusion from the report that we've drawn, is that to go back to the previous legislation, the 1995 legislation, defer the timetable for this, make it that women will not reach age 65 before they retire to 2021, will cost £8 billion. Now, the government always say, can we afford this? Mm. But what they haven't admitted to people up until now is that there is actually a national insurance fund. And that national insurance fund will be sitting next year at a surplus of £30 billion. Mm -hmm. So that cost of £8 billion, spread over four or five years, by the way, is something which is very easily affordable. It's about the government recognising their responsibility to women in Scotland, but women throughout the United Kingdom that have seen such a vast increase in the pace of pension wage. This needs to be looked at again. It's the right thing to do and the government should do it. Um, you are, I mean, this is why you're, you, one might sort of cynically suggest the SNP carefully put you two together because you are the money man with the experience of all this and nothing. Mari, you're the, the I don't know if you're the good cop or the bad cop, but you're the you're the human side of it. You're the you're the uh, you're the one with um, fire in their belly on this, if you like, because there is a human side to this, right? The other side of it is it's all very well looking at the money, but lots of women, I'm sure you well, you've done 
debates on it, you know, right into you with horrific tales of poverty and how they've been affected by this. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think the reality is anything in politics has got a human story to it, and quite often that's ignored. Um, I think fundamentally, certainly, in the last year, the one thing I've learned is that see when the facts align with the experience, mm. you've got something powerful and it's something that has to change. So I don't think that me or Ian are one or t'other side. You know, this is about an argument altogether. All right. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not buying that, to be honest. No, you, you come on. You, you bring different things to the team. Right? That's fair to say. Um, here, if you watch them in the chamber, man, he writes yeah. notes and then he ditches them and just goes off and what? Well, I have seen him, I've seen him waving, waving emails around in the chamber, famously. Um, all right, the report this morning is uh, by... Um, got in my bag, uh, an economist um, who has done the sums and worked out what it would cost, the various different options. Um, How you've uh, plumped for going back to 95, which is when equalisation of pension age was first introduced, and this would cost 8 billion. Why not go for one of the cheaper options? Because 8 billion is not an insignificant amount of money. No, it's not. I, I mean, we, we would both accept that. But, but the important point is that there's 8 billion 2021, so it's spread over a number of years. And in the context of what was said, is that look, what you have to recall here is that the women we're talking about have made national insurance contributions. This is a pension they've paid for. It's an entitlement, it's not a benefit. It's the point that, that Mary keeps. You keep trying to say that we come at this in different ways, actually, we don't. We come at it from a well, different, different ways. Way. You bring well, different things. Yeah, okay, perhaps. But, but the point is, this is affordable within the context that there is actually a fund. And that fund is sitting at the surplus. So it's not a question of the government saying it doesn't have the cash to pay for it. The cash to pay for this is sitting in that national insurance fund. It's about that basic entitlement. And there's also the, the other argument um, where some people might be led to think this is purely about the government and these women that are affected, but it's not. This is, this is actually quite important to even people mind because if you have a group of people who have been paying in their entire lives and at the last hurdle of completely <laughs> unreasonably being told you're not getting your pension yet, then why should somebody like at my age be expecting to get a pension? Why should somebody like my age be happy to be paying in uh, national insurance contributions if I've already seen that at the last hurdle it can just be snatched away from you unfairly? I mean, the government argument, of course, would be that it's not unreasonable that they give them plenty of warning that it's but entirely sensible to have an equalised pension age. Everybody's agreed that... <laughs> equalisation of pension yeah, ages is but, uh, um, the end point. But that's, that's the thing is that I, I can't believe the government have actually just tried to sweep this under the carpet. It was 15 years before they sent out letters to mm. everybody to let them know about this change and even then the letters that they sent out were inaccurate, they had conflicting information. They're all over the place in this, by their own figures, by their own uh, freedom of information. They're all over the place. Um, what happens now? You've got this report. Uh, which seem, it seems a fairly substantial piece of work, but um, as I've mentioned to you, uh, you don't have the numbers, and the government well, does. So tell you what we're it's all very next. well producing nice reports. Well, it's very important to sit down with yourself. We're very much looking forward to this. But when we leave here, yeah, Manny and myself, yeah, we're going around to Ten Downing Street, Ooh. and we're going to be knocking on that door. Yep, and we're going to present Theresa May with our report, and we're going She's to see in New York. Well, we'll give it to her staff and they will pass it to her <laughs> when she gets back and I'm sure she'll, okay. she'll look forward to reading it. But I mean, she talks about fairness. Yes. So, what we'll be saying to Theresa May is, here's an issue of 
classic unfairness. And it's also worth remembering as well, if I'm not mistaken, that Theresa May is within the, the wasp is she, Yeah, I wondered that. She's 1956, if I remember. Yeah, right. I, I did wonder that, yeah. date wrong there, but she's certainly within the, the group that are affected. Now that I've got the, I've learnt the power to edit podcasts, I'll, uh-huh. I'll drop something in there. I'll cut that out if she's not, and we'll drop something in explaining that she is. Um, well, yeah, that's what I can. That's what we're good. You can handle yeah, the report, and she's going to go, go away, no, you little no, SNP well, oikes. I, um, no, I am the government, and I'm not interested. What we're going to do is that we need to speak to the government, we need to speak to the minister, and say, look, you've asked us, in all the debates that we had with your predecessors, not with him, mm. you asked us to come up with a set of proposals, we've done it. Mm. And we've showed you that this is affordable. We're asking you to bring forward legislation. The government has the responsibility, ultimately, of reacting to this. Yeah. Now, if the government refuses to do that, then we have to use any parliamentary device that we can to make sure that we're arguing for the Waspy women. But I'll, I mean, I'll say one thing, and that is that there's been a fantastic campaign by the Waspy women right throughout the country over the course of the last few months. I think one would argue that that campaign is still building a momentum. Mm-hmm. We need the WASPY women to go and see their MPs, to continue the public campaigning, and we will support them, and to say, look, we're being shortchanged here. Okay. We, we are dealing with an inequality that we are not getting something. When we talk about a contract, I mean, if you have a private pension and you pay in, and that's on an expectation you, you will get a, a pension at a given date, it should be exactly the same with your state pension. Ah, so it should well, be, but it's but not. Should, but, you yes, don't but, but sign a thing with an I'm not. You know, no, that's what no, the government will say. No, but you're making a contribution. You're paying national insurance in expectation, and right in at the end of the process. Yes, but, but what we need to happen is that the WASPY women and their supporters need to go and see their MPs because this needs to be a cross-party campaign. The SNP is going to with a proposal, which is the right proposal in our view. But we need everyone to go and visit their MP that's affected by this and saying, "You are here to represent me." And mm-hmm. what are you going to do in taking our concerns to Parliament? And what Mary and myself want to do is build a cross-party consensus with a proposition which is affordable that says to the government, you've made a mistake, you now have to react to this. And if you won't bring forward legislation, we have to look to see what we can do to hold you account, to force you to do the right thing. And this is not going to go away. Mm. This is only going to build momentum. Let me give you the context of what happened with the government over the course of the last 12 months on the issue of tax credits. Because a year ago people were saying you weren't going to be able to change that. Because there was a broad coalition, and I would argue that we took the initiative in that last summer, but because we built a cross-party consensus, and ultimately even Conservative MPs said, look, this is wrong because you're you're hurting hard-working people. And eventually the government buckled. We need to build that pressure on the government to the extent that the government acts and recognises the inherent unfairness of such a steep rise in pensionable age over such a short period of time for so many women. Um, well, you're going to have to do that. But, I mean, tax credits was defeated in the House of Lords. I mean, the House if of only Lords. the SNP had people in the House of Lords, you'd be able to build up. <laughs> the, the Is that not an argument the House, for the nationalist peers? The House, the House of Lords had a part to play in that, but ultimately it was legislation that was brought in front of the Commons that led to a reversal of the proposals to withdraw tax credits. So, they, so ultimately, it's the House of Commons that has to take action. And also, I think there's an argument, if you talk about the tax credits, and that by the time it went to the Lords, every headline was about tax mm-hmm. credits. Every day people were talking about it, going, the government's got this wrong, they've got it wrong, and you could feel the heat and the tension building up. 
Yeah. So it's, it's trying to do the same thing. Because if there's one thing I've learned, this government reacts to pressure. Well, that's what happens when you have a small majority, isn't it? You, you've got to. Um, we've mentioned the Lords, we've mentioned the Commons. Let's mention Holyrood. Uh, I raised this at the event this morning. Um, because the SNP, the one thing you do have the power to do, and you will when Hollywood gets welfare powers, is to create a waspy welfare payment, No, we right? don't. No, we don't. Because what we're actually talking about pensions, and pensions are a reserve matter. But you and could create. Yes, no, you could create a new welfare no, we could payment no, we that would could. only go to women affected by this. Well, look, but, but what the point you're actually dealing with here is the unfairness which has been created here in Westminster about the situation that these women have paid into the Westminster pot. The money is sitting in that national insurance right. fund. But so we don't, we don't, I mean, I would... But the point remains, you would Marie have the I, power no, to create this waspy welfare payment if you wanted I, to. Marie and I would absolutely love that. that if we had responsibility and power over pensions in Scotland tomorrow, because you have to look at the situation at the moment, is that when you look at what's delivered to Scotland, 70% of tax is still controlled in Westminster, 85% of welfare Fine. powers. We do not have the broad base of powers that allows us to take the effective action. Fine, but what powers you will have... But this is will, right, I mean, but this I'm just is, trying to get to the number. You, you, it, you the would Scotland have the power to create right? that if you wanted to, no, right? If, if you look at the Scotland Act, uh, I believe section 28 tells <laughs> well, us... Well, I'm not going to argue. <laughs> section 28 uh, tells us what the exceptions are as to what benefits we can top up, what ones we can mitigate. Pensions are not included in no, that. No, but you can create entire, new benefits. No, that's entirely reserved. We don't have the power. The Scotland Act, we don't have the power to do that. But the second argument is that the answer that I gave you earlier on is there's actually a, a bigger picture here as to why should we... Already the Scottish Government has getting its budget cut from Westminster. So why the hell should we be the ones having to mitigate for a mistake that these guys down here have done? A mistake from a government that we actively rejected in the last general election? Here's why. Well, I mean, this comes back to... Just am I correct in thinking that under the welfare powers, if you wanted to create a WASPy welfare payment, you could... I don't think so. You no. could just you can create wealth benefits. You can create new benefits, can't you? James, but it, 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 yes. that again but, comes back but, to the fact that we're not talking about benefits, we're talking about pensions. All right, yeah, yeah, but you <laughs> could... We've really got to hold the feet of the Westminster government to the fire over this, because at the end of the day, the money is there. All right. But, yeah, but this is really important, because this is about women having paid national insurance, and the receipts of that sitting within the National Insurance Fund. The obligation and the sole responsibility for this lies with Westminster. We don't have control over pensions. No, I'm not talking about pensions. I'm talking about welfare payments. But this is not welfare payments. This is about a pension. And when you consider that what we've said in our report, that the cost of this will be £8 but it's fundable within the context of the Westminster accounts. If you take Scotland's pro rata share of that, that's a substantial cost that would accrue to Scotland that we are not responsible for the generation of the revenue. That doesn't make any sense. We're talking about the fact that the funding for this exists within Westminster. It's about Westminster accepting its responsibility to the pensioners who have paid into that system. So if, if, if we were independent, you'd be quite right sitting there saying that. <laughs> oh yeah, then that'd be a whole different situation. This is, but, we've been right. fighting for these powers and it's Westminster who said, no, you're not getting it. So the responsibility is on them, no us. We've made it clear. That as the SNP, because we've accepted this report and we're fully behind that second option, that these are payments that we would support whether we were part of the Westminster system or whether we're independent. 
because if, if obviously if Scotland was independent, then we would accept our responsibility to these women or not. An independent Scotland would take its responsibilities fully to make sure that we look after all our pensioners, whether well, it's women or men. Of course, but we need the powers to be able to do that. Um, you're not going to say anything else. Let's be honest. You know, what I say? an independent Scotland would be horrible to pensioners. You know, that's no, just not. That's no, not going to fly. No, because, because, well, we, sure, fair no, because we, we've given a commitment up to 2021. It may well be the case that Scotland's independent prior to that. We can only issue this report today, safe in the knowledge that we will stand behind that commitment. Here's an argument. This does feed into the independence uh, debate because you could say that the reason you don't want to discuss having a WASPy welfare payment and pile it all onto Westminster is precisely because all you're interested in doing is trashing Westminster. No. Because, because that worked. And, because, and to be fair, that would not seem unreasonable given what your aims are, which is independence, because that worked a treat in the Brexit right. debate, no. which was trash the establishment no. and it won. Right. First thing, you keep saying welfare. It's no welfare. We're talking about pensions, right? It's not a benefit that folk are getting. We're talking about something they've paid into yeah. and people are entitled to, right? So, first one, language. It's not welfare. It's a, yeah, okay. it's a pension, right? Second of all, this, and this applies to more than just this idea of a, a WASPy welfare fund or whatever you mm-hmm. want to call it. This applies to every time the UK government tells us, oh, well, you've got powers, why don't you mitigate it? See where we might get wonderful new powers? We still don't have control over our budget. We don't have control over our economy. So if Westminster keep on cutting uh, the, the Scottish Parliament's budget, which they are doing, why then is it reasonable to suggest that the Scottish Parliament should somehow come up with extra money because effectively then what you're doing is taxing Scottish people twice, not for a better service, to maintain a service, which is just ludicrous. So that's not an argument for independence, that's an argument for, I've got constituents who pay tax, I want them to get their money's worth out of it. Here's why, because you want an independent Scotland, uh-huh. you do it because you go, look, an independent Scotland will mm-hmm. be a nice place where we do nice things, uh-huh. like creating welfare payments uh-huh. to give to people who've been badly treated by Westminster, as opposed to going, Westminster is bad and we cannot and will not do anything about it. What this report is, is us taking this to, literally to 10 Downing Street and saying, look, here's something reasonable that you can do. Now, the the responsibility is on them, then to act on that. Now, it's it's fine, when we're talking about independence and what we can do with it, we're not doing it for a fanciful reason, it's for practical reasons, it's because if we were independent, we wouldn't be in this situation, where me and Ian are having to troll down to 10 Downing Street to hand Theresa May a report to try and beg her to do She's in New York, you can't hand it to her, she's (laughs) not there. (laughs) One of the the things we said from day one is that we we would be progressive. We would support the UK government when it's right to do so, when it's, it's taking a progressive approach to pension savings. We support Dr. Roman, for example. We have questioned pensions freedom in terms of the impacts that that may have. We've brought real questions about how the environment that we're in, how quantitative easing is affecting defined benefit pension schemes and the deficits are increasing. We've actually taken a very responsible attitude because we understand that this is so important for the generation that are retiring today, for Mary's generation in the future, that we take a long-term responsible approach to pension savings because we want to encourage people to save. And we've been entirely responsible in the way that we've tackled that in terms of making the right decisions, not just in the context of Scotland, but actually right throughout the UK because this report is a, a UK-wide report. Mm-hmm. But it's actually been about, being, I think, of taking a reasonable 
and a considered position that we have done and, and the whole waterfront of pensions issues. And I think a lot of people have commended us because we are being seen as being entirely reasonable. And I think an example of the way that we would look at the pension environment in independent Scotland, that we can be trusted, whereas the contrast that we've got is a Westminster government that is letting 2.6 million women down, but is also letting down people that should be investing in the pension savings for the longer term because they're making the wrong decisions in so many areas. That's what we won't do because we won't play with people's lives. Okay, um, but also, let's not pretend this isn't about independence. You guys want to show that you well, are. There's a reason hold, why. Hold the front page. Manny Black and Ian Black. Well, independence. Of course we do. Yeah. And <laughs> the way to get there is to convince pensioners that you're entirely responsible on pensions because you lost the last referendum with the pensioners. Well, I mean, what, the last referendum is passed and we accepted that. The responsibility we've got collectively is to make sure that we've got credibility in pensions. Are, are we guilty as charged? I would certainly hope so because we want to reassure pensioners that we will do the right thing by them, whether it's within the context of the situation today or the security that pensioners have, that their interests will be absolutely looked after in an independent Scotland. Uh, when's that going to be? As soon as the people decide. Oh, come on. Hopefully as soon as possible. <laughs> well, when's it going to be? Well, that's... Time will tell. Come on. Time will tell. I mean, look, we're here as MPs to do our day job. Do we want to see Scotland become independent as soon as possible? But circumstances will dictate that. We've got the whole Brexit situation unravelling, if I may put it that way, in front of us. Heaven knows where that will go. The First Minister's made it absolutely clear that she has a mandate from the Scottish people and from the Scottish Parliament to argue for Scotland's case within Europe. We've said that that will include everything up to including independence. Let's wait and see what happens. We will play our part in that, but it's up to the people to decide what the future of Scotland will be. Uh, is anybody else fed up with the word mandate? Can we have a different word? A number of people who've got mandates around here. Mandate's important because what happened in Scotland was that 62% of the people of Scotland gave a very clear demonstration that they wanted to remain within Europe. Nicola Sturgeon gave fantastic leadership to the nation when she spoke the day after the referendum. But moreover, what then happened was that there was a debate took place in the Scottish Parliament where there was a cross-party consensus, SNP, Labour, Lib Dems, Greens, yeah. all giving a mandate to Nicola Sturgeon to take the support of those parties into negotiations over Scotland's future. The Tories abstained. But the, I mean, that is a very, very clear expression, I would have said, of Civic Scotland. No, the majority of opinion in Civic Scotland in terms of what people want. And that's what we're now getting on. No, hang on. We've got a clear expression of what Scotland thinks on Europe, and that is that 38% of people want to leave. So the so fact that the whole of the uh, Holyrood says we want to stay it's in. Is, there's a, there's a, a disconnect here. No, it's not, because you, I mean, I think we would all accept that you have to respect a democratic mandate, whatever that is. We accepted the... <laughs> you know you're, you know where no, this is going. You no, know what's coming no, next. James, we accepted the, the, the will of the Scottish people in the referendum in 2014 that only 45% of the population voted yeah. against independence at that point. We accepted that. Manny and I stood on a mandate of, de- of delivering the vow to deliver home rule that Gordon Brown spoke about just before the referendum. So we absolutely accepted that. We're here to represent our constituents. But we also talked about what could change the game. And it's absolutely demonstrably the case that the people of Scotland, a very clear majority of the people of Scotland, have given expression that they wish to see their future within Europe. They see Scotland as a European nation. We agree with that. 
and the Scottish Parliament agrees with that view. Nicola has a very clear mandate from the people, from Parliament, to articulate that position. It's up to Theresa May and her government to show that they respect Scotland. And remember this, that here in Westminster, one perhaps would argue that sovereignty rests with Parliament. That's never been the situation in Scotland. It goes back to a legal case in 1953. And that's what the Parliament has given an expression to. All right, Mari, I'll ask you the question on this that I cannot fathom. As you roll your eyes. Just because I cannot get to the, the bottom of this, and I don't think it's a difficult, I think it's not meant to be a difficult question, uh-huh. I think, but why would you want to stay in the European Union uh-huh. but leave the British Union when the British Union has deeper roots and more economic value? Economic value? I sort of does. <laughs> Well, it does, doesn't it? Scotland does, does more Scott. business with, with the rest of the well, UK than it does with Europe. No, not when Westminster's in charge of Scotland's finances. Look at the mess that they've made with all the oil assets over the last 40 years. Look at uh, the way increased uh, austerity for the last two parliaments. Uh, Westminster has got an absolutely abysmal record when it comes to e- economic policy and especially when it comes to Scotland. So when you're asked the question about the European Union or the, the British Union, Fundamentally, the big difference is, is that as part of a European Union, Scotland is equal on the table. It's the same as every other country. Within Westminster, that's not the case. That is not the case whatsoever. And in fact, the WASP issue is the perfect example of that. You've got a, a, Scotland voted, what, God, 56 out of 59 for SNP, an active anti-austerity campaign. And yet because of that, because we are part of this union, it's totally dependent on whatever the bulk of England votes for. Now that's not having a, a, an equal position within a union. And th- th- this WASP issue is the perfect example of that, as to why are women in Scotland suffering under an austerity agenda when we actively rejected it at the last election? We're not going to have an austerity anymore, apparently, because we've had Brexit. Now, see, that's six years of austerity. That's just a waste of time. <laughs> Don't need to worry about that now. Autumn statement's going to be a bonanza, isn't it? It's going to be a uh, total, total terror. Well, if the autumn statement's going to be a bonanza, they can fix women's pensions. Oh, oh. Well, that's, that's got to be your target, right? It's the autumn statement. That's where you've got a good target you'll fire. Uh, which actually is going to be in the autumn this year as well, I believe, in actual November. Or, you know, English autumn. Is that autumn in Scotland? November? Does that count as autumn? Um, just while we're on the uh, referendum-y stuff, um, I have to ask you, Barry, about the Yes Scotland launch at the weekend and the controversy around the word. I don't know if I can say it. I don't know if it's offensive or not. I don't know. But clearly you were uh, uh, depicted in this skit, which was clearly just horrific on all counts. Um, are you offended? Is, is it, is it well, even an issue that anybody should be offended by? I my, don't know. Uh, my brother actually sent me the link and says, have you seen this? And I've seen what? And he went, just honestly, you're going to need a humour transplant here. <laughs> I, I confess I haven't <laughs> it watched so it because it was clearly going to be awful. But in terms of the actual word, um, personally speaking, I, I thought it was in poor taste. Um, but I think it's, it, it depends on what an individual's thinking. Uh, in my opinion, I think that if 
if I'm going to be going around saying that I think we should be trying to challenge the sort of language that people are using against the LGBT community, then the best way to do that is to challenge it, not to mm-hmm. mock it. But in saying that, I, I wouldn't for a second think that it was genuinely meant as any kind of homophobic comment whatsoever. I just think it was after it gone wrong. That's all. Um, and that was enough to set off Twitter. All the usual suspects uh, on all sides having sense of humour failures, transplants, hard nose. Uh, it's a strange place, isn't it? Um, however, uh, in some sort of terrible segue, I'll mention that Twitter is a very good place for the waspy ladies, isn't it? They're very active on Twitter. It's been a very social media. That's a good side of social media, right? It's allowed these ladies to come together and um, uh, you know start the campaign, which uh, you people are obviously still in touch with. Um, okay, well, I, did I manage to bring that round at the end there, all nicely tied round to, well, to actually, the pensions business? I want to ask you one more thing. Oh yeah. How the hell did you meet Leonardo DiCaprio? Oh, uh, a film job. Um, I used to do the occasional film junket. What year was it? Oh, it was a film in. It was set in. Oh, <laughs> God, it was a, it was a Ridley Scott film. I met him as well, and it was set in Iraq. And it oh, had Mark Strong uh, in it. Yeah. So, uh, something like that. Yeah. Maybe. Right. So you tell me what year that was. Are you still in touch with? No, I, you know, <laughs> I literally, you know, sat around the table with him. I think I probably got closer than either of you got to these people you're claiming to have met, frankly. <laughs> but um, <laughs> there you go. Today's amazing New York. You could just nip over here and join. Uh, you might bump into Angelina while you're there. Um, there you go. See, that's what happens when you change the format. The MPs start asking you questions. Um, <laughs> I will uh, thank my MP guests, uh, Ian Blackford and Mari Black, or Black Blackford, as you're now going to be known, or something. <laughs> uh, and um, if you want to get in touch, uh, I am politicalyeti at gmail.com, or I am at politicalyeti on Twitter. If you want to sponsor this podcast, because we're still looking for a sponsor, uh, do get in touch. Ian, you must know people with lots of money. Can you maybe put, put us in touch with something from your previous life? <laughs> from your previous strange and secret life? Um, we'll discuss this off here um, and uh, tune in next week for a, uh, another and I don't know what the format will be but there will be another Political Yetis Politics podcast thank you